You're listening to sermons from Church on Bayshore in Niceville, Florida. Our mission is to do whatever it takes to see people believe in Jesus, belong to God's family, and become who God created them to be, impacting the world for Christ. To learn more about our church and to find additional resources, including ways to connect, serve, and give, visit churchonbayshore.org. church. I just appreciate Justin and our worship team leading us this morning in worship, but uh, as I was singing this morning, just to hear, I stopped for a moment, and just to hear us together collectively declaring the truths and promises of Jesus and who he is, man, what a beautiful sound. And I pray that your heart uh, was blessed this morning as we worshiped and sang to the Lord um, my name is Michael Van Sant. If you don't know me, I'm the pastor of discipleship and families here, and it's just an honor to be able to open up God's word uh, with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'll open up to Ephesians chapter two, we'll be continuing there as we continue our series one. Um, as, we, as you turn there, just two uh, quick announcements for you. One is uh, Alec and Ashley Ammons. Alec is our student minister. They had their baby boy last Sunday. Uh, I think we have a picture to show on the screen. Uh, that is Walker James Ammons. He was born last Sunday, the 21st, at 7.51 in the morning. And he came in uh, to the world at 9 pounds, 14 ounces. Uh, so he is all boy, all ready to go. And, uh, but we just rejoice with them. Thank you for your prayers for them. Um, got a chance to talk to Alec a couple times this week, and they're doing well. They went home Tuesday and uh, just learning what it means uh, to have a little sleep. So, uh, but pray for them as they uh, transition as a family of three. We're excited for them. Thank you for your support and prayers for them. Also, as we mentioned in the welcome video, equipping classes begin next week. We'll be pausing from life groups, uh, but I wanna encourage you, this is a tremendous opportunity to get to know people from other generations, other life groups, uh, for us to learn together, to grow together. Uh, so please, uh, even if you'll be out of town a week or two, please commit to, to being here and growing in one of these areas. There's seven different classes. Uh, you can sign up online, go to our main page, and right in the middle is the equipping class graphic. Click on that and you'll be good to go. Uh, if you do not have access to the internet, we do have uh, forms, uh, registration forms that you can complete at the welcome desk. Um, but we are excited this morning to continue uh, in Ephesians. And um, as we continue our one series, we looked at, remember initially, uh, we looked at one piece last week, one hope as we recognized our students and our graduates. And then this morning, we're going to talk about one mission. And uh, as I was preparing the past couple weeks and studying the passage and preparing, um, I was reminded of a good friend and mentor of mine, Sean Stover. He's the director of Windshape Marriage, uh, which is a foundation through Chick-fil-A. Um, and he would always encourage us, uh, our staff team would remind us that there are three things that are very vitally important in ministry. And he would use the acronym RPM. R was for resources, that we need to be good stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to us uh, in order to accomplish the ministry God has, uh, desires for us. Then P is the people, that if we're going to carry out God's 
uh, mission and ministry, we have got to realize that it's people that carry that out. So we need to make sure that we are mindful of that. And last is M, it's the mission, that if we're gonna have a thriving ministry, a successful ministry, that we need to be focused on the mission and what it is we are coming together to accomplish. And as I was reading through this passage, we're gonna be in 17 through 22 this morning, um, I just saw these themes of God's resources and God's people and God's mission as we look this morning at discipleship that God's mission for us is that we would make disciples. And so um, I am not a car guy by any means. Um, I can fill my tank up with gas, I can change a tire, I can replace wipers, I can do a few things here and there. Um, but when it comes to the actual engine and everything that makes it go, I'm just thankful it gets me from my house here to the church and everywhere else our family needs to go. Um, but uh, RPMs and probably, you know, maybe none of y'all even pay attention to the tachometer in your car. You know, the thing that's got one, two, three, four, probably goes up to six, seven, eight, maybe. Uh, and it goes from white to red. And if you get, you know, it goes into the red, you're, you're in trouble, right? Um, so it's really not until we have trouble because uh, that we take notice of the RPMs on our vehicle. Uh, but uh, the RPMs is a gauge and it tells us how fast the crankshaft crankshaft is spinning in terms of revolutions per minute. Um, it helps the car, the crankshaft is what helps the car, it makes the car go. Um, and so as long as the car is going, we're good. But the RPMs, when it gets into that red, then we know we have some problems. It could be anything from transmission issues to engine trouble to spark plugs to any number of issues. But the interesting thing to me is that we really don't pay attention to that area of our vehicle unless there is trouble. And so Sean would always remind us that it's important for us to have a pulse in these three areas as we do ministry. And so as we jump into Ephesians, I want us to take a look at these three areas of resources, people, and mission to help us identify if we are being faithful to help encourage us to be faithful to making disciples. And as we get started, I think it's important for us uh, to define disciple. Many churches define it many different ways, not that it's right or wrong, but there's many factors that come into what it means to follow Jesus. But here's just a definition for us. You can write this uh, in your notes. It's a little bit out of order this morning. Um, but disciple is a person who is devoted to trusting and obeying Jesus. And more than that, committed to helping others trust and obey him. A disciple is a person who is devoted to trusting and obeying Jesus and helping others and committed to helping others trust and obey him. You see, God calls us to grow in our trust and obedience of him, but he also wants us to walk alongside other people that they would believe in Jesus and that they would come to know him and grow in him as well. So this whole idea of discipleship is as a lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus as we surrender to God's word. Discipleship is a lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus by surrendering to his word. We never obtain full trust and obedience in Jesus on this side of heaven. So we're continually having to submit and surrender our lives to God's word and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us that we, he would make us more and more like Jesus, that we would grow in our trust and our obedience of Jesus. And so as we dive in this morning, I want us to see what God tells us in his word as Paul writes 
to the church in Ephesus, what he tells us about the importance of what God's mission is and what the purpose of his people are, what our purpose is together. And then lastly, to look at the resources that God's given us so we can be obedient and faithful in making disciples. Before we jump into God's word, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together as your people. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. You tell us that your word's alive and active, and so I pray that you would speak to us this morning. God, I thank you for this church family. We love them so much. I thank you for uh, who we are in you and what you've called us to do. And Father, I just pray that we be obedient. I pray that we be faithful. And Lord, as you speak this morning, Holy Spirit, just work in us, challenge us, convict us, and ultimately, Lord, change us and make us more like Jesus. We pray this in his name. If you'll read with me, starting in verse 17 of Ephesians 2. And he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So I mentioned we're gonna be following the acronym RPMs. We're actually gonna go backwards, not because I'm crazy, but because I wanna be true to the text and how Paul shows us these things. But the first thing we see and must be reminded of if we're gonna be faithful in making disciples is that God is the one who calls us to be on mission for making disciples. God calls us to be on mission to make disciples. Jesus himself commanded his, commanded his disciples to make disciples, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Sometimes, often, people will start the Great Commission at verse 19, but I think it's so important that we go back to verse 18 because in that phrase that Jesus starts off with, he declares that all authority has been given to him. Jesus gives this command that we're to go and make disciples, but we must not forget that the reason it is a command and the reason it's worth following is because Jesus gave it and he has all the authority. I said last service, I think, unfortunately, this is probably one of the most disobeyed passages in all of scripture. That the church, that God's people would not be obedient, that as we're going, that we would make disciples, as we're going, that we would share the gospel, as we are going, that we would see people growing in their trust and obedience of Jesus. And Jesus tells us that all authority has been given to him, and so we, as we're going, are commanded to go and make disciples to baptize them, to teach them. Now, this is a huge thing, to teach them all that he has commanded. I don't know about you, but I struggle to obey everything that Jesus has commanded, yet he calls us 
to teach others to obey all that he has commanded. It seems like an impossible task. It seems like something that we don't have the ability to do in a lot of ways that is so very true. He wants us to rely and depend on him and he gives us the promise that he is with us always. So we rely on him. Our mission as a church comes from this passage. Our mission is to do whatever it takes to see people believe in Jesus, to belong to God's family and to become who God has created them to be. And in doing so, the world would be impacted for Christ. Another way I would like to summarize it is that our mission is to do whatever it takes to make disciples. We've gotta be all in and invested into seeing people trust and obey Jesus from the point of surrendering their lives to Jesus and coming to a point of salvation to continuing that daily walk of obedience in him. So verse 17, as we started this morning, we see that Jesus modeled a life on mission. He calls us to this, but he's also given us a model of what this looks like. Throughout his entire ministry, we see what it means to trust and obey God. He modeled it, he came. Philippians 2, Paul writes that Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So when Jesus came, what is it that he did? Verse 17 tells us that he preached peace. In verse 14, Paul had already written that Jesus is our peace. In verse 15, he reminds us that God has created a new people, that what Jesus did on the cross has created a new people. He has reconciled us, he has brought peace, that when we were once separated from God, he has now taken us as enemies from God and made us friends of God and brought peace back between us and the Lord. You see, Jesus achieved peace by what he did on the cross and now he's proclaiming and announcing this peace. And I think, Jesus is I think Paul is referring to Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, not necessarily his public ministry, which he did both. I think of the time when John writes in the gospel when Jesus appears to his disciples after being resurrected and he says, peace be with you. You see, Jesus is still proclaiming this very same peace today through the lives of us as believers. And this peace that we declare is not our own message, but it's the promise of Jesus that he proclaims through us. Not only does Jesus model this life on mission, but we see that Jesus gave his life for God's mission. Our mission is to do whatever it takes. And we say that Jesus models what this looks like and he gave his very own life and so this cost of making disciples, the cost is high. Jesus gave his life for the church. In Romans five, Paul writes, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith in this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, he gave his life. It says through him, through his death, through what he accomplished on the cross, he willingly laid down his life. And why did he do that? Paul writes and says, so that we would have access by one spirit to the Father. Our sin that once separated us from God, from a holy, perfect God, 
Jesus died and paid the penalty that we deserve so we could be brought back into relationship with God. This idea and this word of access isn't just a one-time event, a one-time meeting, but it is an ongoing relationship that we get to enjoy the same access to God and this access comes by the Holy Spirit so we can know God, the creator of the universe. As we continue, we see not only does God call us to be on mission for making disciples, but God joins his people together for the purpose of making disciples. And I think this idea of joining together is so important. We see this in, in the text, but there are three familiar illustrations that Paul gives us of what it means and what it looks like for the unity of God's people to accomplish his mission in making disciples. The word together in the Greek is there three times. Uh, you'll see that in the word joined together. You'll see that in the word built together. One, most translations you may kind of miss, but don't miss it, fellow citizens Fellow citizens, the idea of fellow, of being together, being one people, one nation coming together. And so there's something important that we can and we are called to make disciples individually, but God also designed us corporately in community to make disciples together. So I wanna take a look at these three illustrations for us of what God calls us to do collectively as his people. And the first illustration we see is that we are citizens of God's kingdom. We were in verse 12 last week, and if you look back, Paul writes, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Then in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Because of what Jesus has done, because we now have access with God, we are fellow citizens with the saints. Paul writes, they're no longer refugees. They now have citizenship. They have a place to belong. They are part of God's kingdom. Paul is writing at a time when a Roman citizen was highly respected. They had amazing privileges. But what was greater was to be a citizen of heaven. As I was preparing this week, I was reminded of a lady in our church, Sandy Mitchell. Her husband, Phil, served so faithfully out in our foyer every week, welcoming people they were married for 45 years before the Lord called her home just a couple years ago. Uh, she was active in our church. She was a huge servant. Uh, you may have been blessed by her egg rolls or her fried rice. She served faithfully on Wednesday nights in our girls' ministry for many years, pouring into the lives of young ladies, teaching them about missions and God's word. Uh, Sadie and Josie, our daughters, were uh, blessed by her investment into them. And she really reflected the Lord in so many ways. I think of two of our values, our base Shore values. One is that programs don't make disciples, people make disciples. And I say this at every Discover when people come to hear about our church. Uh, we have been here for over 110 years, but I think what has made our church so great and so strong isn't all the amazing programs we've had because programs will come and go, but what's made our church so healthy uh, is the fact that we have people who love Jesus, who love his word and want other people to grow in obedience to him. And Sandy reflected that. And then also one of our values is that we, the priority of every generation would be the next generation. And having been the student pastor here when I first came and now being the family pastor, like I love and seeing 
our people engaging with the next generation, that they would know Jesus, that they would trust and obey him, and that God would use them mightily for generations to come until the Lord returns. You see, Sandy grew up in Thailand. She was born in Thailand, grew up there. She and Phil met uh, there in Thailand, got married, uh, and then moved back to the United States in 1975. She came to know Jesus as her Lord and Savior in March of 20, uh, 2003, um, and then she began pursuing her citizenship here in the United States. She was so excited. She couldn't wait to be a citizen and she couldn't wait to vote. She loved telling people about when she was gonna be taking the test and when she finally got the affirmation that she was a US citizen, she was ecstatic. She wanted to belong and to be part of this country. I wasn't here yet in 2008 when she got her citizenship, but I remember Phil and the kids telling me about how excited she was and it got me thinking that as much excitement as she showed about her citizenship here in the United States of America, how much more does she celebrate with her life and what she did and how she served and how she walked alongside of people? Did she celebrate her citizenship in heaven that day in March 2003 when she trusted Jesus as her Lord and Savior was baptized here in this very place? to declare to the world that she trusted Jesus and she wanted other people to know him and she gave her life for his mission. You see, becoming a US citizen was a huge milestone for, for Sandy, but she took even greater delight in the day of her salvation, the day that she became a citizen of heaven and now her faith is now made sight and she is with the Lord but we see another illustration. Not only are we citizens of heaven, but he tells us here, uh, this one becomes a little more personal, a little more intimate, that we are children in God's family. You are members of the household of God. To be part of the kingdom is one thing, but to be part of a family is a completely another thing. You see, through Jesus, the Jews and Gentiles are more than fellow citizens with God as their king. They're more than just part of the family with God as their father, but they are part of the family with other believers as brothers and sisters in Christ. God has designed his people to be part of a family, to have a place to belong. The family of God, the church, should always be looking to adopt people into our family. And oftentimes we say adoption is a beautiful picture of that, and it is, but I think sometimes we discount the reality of what that means for us as a church family to adopt somebody into our church family, to see them come to faith in Christ, to walk alongside of them as we share the gospel with them until they come to salvation, and then to walk alongside of them as they grow in his word and his, the understanding of his word. I wanna share with you uh, a story. Uh, I think we have a picture of them on the screen for, of John and Eleanor Burrell. Uh, they uh, were a couple, a family who lived in Northfield, New Jersey. They had three daughters, Sandy, Elaine, and Phyllis. They attended church uh, regularly, uh, Linwood Community Church, and their girls attended Mount Vernon Elementary School. Uh, Phyllis was the youngest. She was in third grade, and uh, towards the end of the year, they had a new student uh, who moved into the area who started in her class, and this, new, uh, this student's name uh, was Rhonda Tice. The next year, Rhonda and Phyllis were again in the same class. They actually ended up being in class together, not just in third grade, fourth grade, but also in fifth and sixth grade. 
And throughout those years, they became really good friends. Phyllis would invite Rhonda over to play at her house. They would play after school. They would play on the weekends. Uh, She became part of the family. She would uh, stay there on school nights for dinner. She would spend the night. Uh, The Burrell family was very kind. They treated Rhonda as as if she was their own daughter. It wasn't long before the Burrells began inviting her to their church. You see, Rhonda had parents didn't go to church. Her siblings didn't go to church, but she would walk. They moved several times in New Jersey in her childhood, but she would always find about uh, in second grade. So in second grade, she would begin walking to the church near her house. Um, So uh, in fourth grade, the Burrells began inviting her to attend church with them. They would go pick her up in the mornings, take her to Sunday school and to service, and then she would go home with them in the afternoons for lunch to play and then head home and be taken back home later that evening. Every Sunday, every week, the Burrells would pick up Rhonda and take her to church. You see, the Burrells always prayed before meals. They prayed before bedtime. Something was different about them than her own family. But prayer wasn't a new thing. She had gone to church. She knew what prayer was. But for Rhonda, she began to see what following Jesus was like. She began to see it modeled in the life of Phyllis and her family. Conversations were happening in the home, around the table, and even in the car about church, about faith, and about Jesus. You see, the Burrells were making an intentional investment about, of planting seeds of the gospel in the heart and the mind of Rhonda. By the time Rhonda and Phyllis got to sixth grade, the Burrells invited her to a revival at their church, and on Friday night was student night. On that night in her sixth grade year, at the age of 12, Rhonda surrendered her life to Jesus and trusted him as her Lord and Savior. I think I have a picture, but Rhonda and Phyllis are still friends today of 50, over 50 years of friendship. If you can't tell the resemblance, uh, see. On the left is Rhonda, she's my mom. Uh, she and my dad met at Linwood Community Church when they were in high school. Uh, obviously, they later got married, uh, but the Burrell family is so special to my mom and to our family because the Burrells brought her into their family. They showed her what it looked like to follow Jesus. They loved her as their own daughter. And because of the seeds of the gospel that were planted, my mom trusted Jesus as her Lord and Savior and changed the trajectory of our family. We are called to adopt people into the family of God. We are called to be on mission to make disciples that people would know who Jesus is and would trust him. See, the church isn't a building where we go or a service that we attend. The church is the people of God the family of God who live life together on mission and make disciples for God's kingdom. This last illustration that we see here that Paul gives us is that we are stones of God's temple. This was very familiar to his audience because as Paul is writing, there were two temples that they knew of. One was the magnificent temple, a marble temple that stood there in Ephesus of Artemis. Uh, one of the seven wonders of the world. And then in Jerusalem, there was the Jewish temple that was built by Herod the Great. Both of these were magnificent temples. Uh, The temple in Jerusalem obviously was where God's glory had once resided. And now that Jesus had come and revealed God's glory, uh, he was manifesting his glory now through his people. Both of these temples, one pagan and one Jewish, neither one uh, contained the one true living God. And so as Paul writes here, I just imagine what people were thinking of, what do you mean a new people? What do you mean a new temple? Well, where is this gonna be? Where is this gonna be built? And Paul is telling us that this temple 
is not man-made. This temple, this holy place where the Lord is going to dwell is within his people. That we are the temple of God individually and collectively that he is placing us as living stones. Peter writes and says, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to the holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, God dwells in the hearts of believers and also in his people collectively. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof. And he continues, you knew that those jobs needed doing and so you were not surprised. But presently, he's knocking down the house uh, knocking the house about in a way that hurts and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but in fact, he's building a palace. He intends to come and to live in it himself. And I think... As we look at verse 22, that in Jesus, we are also being built together into a dwelling place for God. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes and says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. He's talking to the church in Corinth, saying collectively church, collectively believers of Corinth, you are that temple. You are how God has chosen to display his glory to a world that does not know him. So how important is it for us to make disciples together? What God has joined us together for his purpose, for his mission, for his glory. I think about this summer, we have the opportunity for Bayshore Kids Clubs to go out into the community and to invite kids and families to be a part. I love the fact that parents stay. We, get not, we, only, we not only get the opportunity to invest into kids, but also to have conversations and build relationships with parents. So we'll be at different homes and different parks. And if you haven't signed up, I encourage you to do so, that we would have the opportunity to serve the Lord together, to grow together, to reach our community for God's kingdom together. And last, we see that we must not forget that if we're gonna be faithful in making disciples, we need to be focused on the mission. We need to realize that we're being joined together as God's people. But last, that God provides his resources to equip his people in making disciples. He's given us everything we need. First, he's given us himself. God the Father has brought us back into relationship with him. We have access to him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to rely on his power and his strength, the creator of the universe, but he's also given us his word, verse 20. All of this built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Paul is telling us that the temple's foundation is God's word. The prophets of the Old Testament, the apostles of the New, all of these were teachers proclaiming God's message. We have God's word here, declaring who he is and who we are and what we're called to do. We must build our lives upon God's word. The church has been given a precious gift from the Lord of, of his word and so often we, we neglect it. We don't even, we go through our weeks and we don't even open it and we wonder why we don't hear God speaking. We must remain faithful to the study and the reading of God's word and the application of his word and his truths 
in our lives that we would submit to the authority of his word. We also see the resources given of Jesus Christ himself, that he is the foundation and the chief cornerstone. He is the one who unites believers together. He is the one who makes the whole building possible. The only reason we're able to gather together as his people is because of Jesus and what he's done. He's the cornerstone. He is the ex- He is placed at the extreme corner of the church, of the temple, to bind us and to build us together. The cornerstone is the most important part of the entire structure that gives us the stability and the ability to grow, not just to grow here as church on base, or not only to grow around the globe as believers are pursuing and making disciples and being obedient to God's mission, but from the believers of the past, the present, and even the future until Jesus comes. He is bringing us together to display his glory to a world that does not know him. And then we see in this passage that he has given us the Holy Spirit. Our access to the Father is made possible because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells in us. He empowers us. He is our helper. He works within our lives. He chisels away the sin in our lives. He makes us look more and more like Jesus, not because of who we are, but because of his power, because of his grace, because of his mercy. And so as we consider this morning the call in our lives to make disciples, and the mission that he's given us and the reality that he's brought us alongside of other people of his family to accomplish that and that he's given us all the resources we need. We have a lot to think on. We have a lot to reflect upon. I was getting uh, the oil change in Dana's van a couple days ago and I uh, there was some issue with scheduling and different things and I actually ran into one of our church members. He was had a recall on his vehicle and um, they came out about 20 minutes later and were like, hey, we're so sorry. We know we scheduled an appointment for you to have this uh, item, this part on your vehicle fixed, but we failed to order the part. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Um, he was very gracious. I'm not sure I would have been as gracious having driven from here to there, but uh, they rescheduled, but it got me thinking. This dealership, this shop, they had a mission They knew what their job was. They had the team back there in the garage working, doing the tasks they needed to do, but they were missing the parts. And we need to be very careful as a church, as as people of God, as, as disciples of Jesus, as followers of him, that in making disciples, we don't lose sight of the mission that God's given us. That we would walk alongside of people and help them know who Jesus is, help them believe in Jesus and that they would grow in their trust and obedience. And that we would be committed to that in our own lives and that we would be committed to seeing that in other people's lives. But we also must not forget God's command that we are called to do that collectively, that he's joined us together because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. He has joined us together as brothers and sisters in Christ to accomplish that mission together. And he's not called us to do it on our own, our own strength. We would fail miserably every time, but he's given us himself. He's given us his word. He's given us Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He's given us these heavenly spiritual resources that we would be found faithful in making disciples. And so this morning, we're gonna come to a point of communion. We're gonna recognize the Lord's Supper. I'll ask our deacons to come forward.
And I can't think of a better, better morning to do that as we, we've talked about God's mission. We've talked about Jesus coming and preaching and proclaiming peace. And that he gave his life. He willingly laid down his life so we could know God. Our sin that so that separated us from him because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we have been brought back to him if we place our faith in him.